I'm talking to Elliot Gould today. We'll talk about his youth when he was on stage as a juvenile. We'll talk about Ingmar Bergman. We'll talk about Groucho Marx. We'll talk about his wonderful career with his endless, including Ray Donovan and whatever else he's doing right now. So we met, I'll just let the people listening, we met on a Broadway play, and that was Little Murders. And I forget where I was at that point. I was getting known as a comedian. I didn't know you. Yeah, yeah right. You didn't know you I mean, met I, me I then. didn't know me, you know, right. but I had been, I had already yeah. been on Broadway. Right. So you had been a, I can't get it for you wholesale. I can get it for you. I, oh, see, I, I always thought it. it was can't. I always said that. Really? I'm wrong. I can get it for I you can, wholesale. I can get it for you wholesale. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, Alexander Cohn. Yes. Who produced Little Murders yes. on Broadway. Yes. Had given me the script by Jules Pfeiffer mm-hmm. and asked if I would go up to see Jules Pfeiffer and talk with him about my directing it. But then they asked me to read George Sherman, who directed us yes. in Little Murders. Yes. And I read, and Ingmar Bergman, with, uh, I was the first one of us to work with that guy. Uh-huh. And uh, he published me as being tragic for not doing classical work in relation to my natural gifts. And so he wanted you to be embracing more tragic stuff no, as opposed to comedy? No, he, now, he also said to me, I could, you know, when we first said, no, no, <laughs> he said, little brother. Uh, and I, I don't imitate uh, anything. No, but I imagine yeah, Mark Bergman phone, would be I'm that. I'm in the West Village, and he's calling. I read a script that scared <laughs> yeah. the shit out of me. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the hair, when I heard that, the hair <laughs> on my neck stood up, and I thought, I'm really impulsive and impetuous. Okay, I can trust me with him and him with me. Yeah. I said, okay, I'll do it yeah so i did tell me the experience so you did he meet you in new york or did you go to meet him in sweden where was he no no he hired he studied some of my work okay and at the time i was uh, very hot which was so unlikely i mean so <laughs> yes. unlikely like if i had known then what I know now, I might have decided to be Hasidic. I might yeah. have just been a Hasid. Don't tell me about anything. I don't yeah. want to know. <laughs> well, what were you hot from? What show had preceded? Oh, no, um, it wasn't a show. I did a few films. And and then uh, Bob and Carol, Ted and Alice with Paul Mazursky. Oh, is that how? Oh, so, so you didn't get to Ingmar Bergman until... The films, actually, not not when you were on Broadway. Right. Right. Oh, I see. Right. Or, yeah, or I doing know. being a part of a kids ensemble yeah. and doing song and dance. Yes, right. Do you want to hear one of the routines you, at you, the age of uh, nine or ten that Charlie Lowe gave me was... This is so embarrassing. No, no, no. no, no. Mary had a little lamb, some peas and mashed potatoes, and ear of corn, some buttered beets, and then had sliced tomatoes. She said she wasn't hungry, so I thought I'd get a break. But just to keep me company, she ordered up a steak. She said she couldn't eat a thing because she's on a diet, but then she saw ice cream and pie and said, I'd like to try it. She drank two cups of coffee and had dessert, of course. Oh, Mary had a 
little lamb and I had applesauce. Can you imagine that? And you're not going to make a career on that. And what's a career? And career, because the guy who got through to me at the age of 12, uh, when I played the palace, followed Smith and Dale. So and, it was almost vaudeville at the time. Smith yes. and Dale were doing an yeah, act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This that. was and the first anniversary of the return of vaudeville uh-huh. to, uh, to the palace. Mm-hmm. And Bill Quinn took me on. And he was trying to impress with through tap dancing, rhythm, precision, mm-hmm. timing. Mm-hmm. Give me some of the musicals. I remember Drat the Cat. Well, I had to go back to the beginning. The yeah. first musical was uh, Annie Get Your Gun, which was going to be, uh, was being produced for in summer stock with Vaughn Monroe and Constance Moore or somebody like that. Yeah, he, and I was in the chorus. He had a song called Racing with the Moon, Vaughn Monroe. Yeah. Racing, Racing with the Moon. Yeah, yeah. He did it. I'm a bad, bad man. <laughs> yeah. I had a girl from nobody. You couldn't breathe. She was from the law, yeah. And so, uh, but it got rain. It rained and the tent blew away. So I never could perform uh, that. Yeah. Then I did, uh, was the Ernie Kovac show. I did the Ernie Kovac show on television. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I hope 50 guys and and uh, Edie Adams and me, one of the 50 yep. guys, and yep. it was Lullaby of Broadway, and we are top hat, white tie, and tails, and we all had to drop our hats like we made a mistake, and I dropped my hat a tad early, and the family went, oi, oi, and then everybody else dropped their hats, and they said, oh, see, everybody's so nice. Elliot dropped his hat, so everybody else is dropping <laughs> They did cover him. Right. <laughs> then I, I got into a, a chorus for a show called Rumple uh, with Eddie Foy Jr., uh, who uh, was great. Yeah, all these great vaudeville stars from the past. Well, let me tell you my musical comedy experience and why it didn't happen for me. I, as you know, come from Winnipeg, and Winnipeg in Canada had a vaudeville circuit. And while I was still watching movies, they were still do little vaudeville shows in between the films. And I was always skipping school to see any movie. I mean, my parents went nuts. They, you know, they found out after months that I hadn't been at school at all, and I was like 11 years old. So what I did basically was go to movies. And I went to the, I'll never forget it, the Rio Theater. I don't remember what the movie was, but then there was a vaudeville act Afterwards, So this was a Tuesday afternoon at 2.30 in the afternoon. And I'm not exaggerating. I was the only one in the theater. And then all of a sudden they said, and now we're going to do our live show. And here he comes, Champ Butler. And there's a guy, Champ Butler. And I was the only one in the theater. I was like a lasso, like a cowboy point. He didn't do that, but he was, I was 11 years old. There's no one else in this big theater except me in the middle of the afternoon. And Champ Butler comes on. I remember the song. It went, A, you're adorable. B, you're so beautiful. C, I'm accustomed to your charms. I'd like to wander through the alphabet with you and have you cuddle in my arms. And he kept on pointing at me because I was the only one there. And that was my introduction to musical comedy. Sitting alone in a theater, I thought, what is this? So the musical comedy part of you is so interesting because your movie career, I don't, you didn't do any musicals 
in film, did you? Well, Jimmy Conn and I did a really fun uh, show, very hard. It was called Harry and Walter Go to New York. Yes. It was yes. Turner of the Century. Elliot, take me through the movies. Just a little comment about each one. Oh, well, sure. The first movie that I did, I went for a meeting. At that point, Sue Mengers, you remember her, of course. was my agent. Mm -hmm. And that was really all about getting Sue to meet uh, Barbara because Barbara and I were yeah. together. Were, you mm -hmm. know? And it was a picture that was called The Confession, mm -hmm. and it was being directed by a man named William Dieterle. And William Dieterle uh, had directed Charles Lawton as The Hunchback of Notre Dame, oh. Oh. and Paul Muni in The Life of Louis Pasteur Ooh. and Juarez. Mm. And uh, he came, Dieterle came to America with Max Reinhardt, and they collaborated on A Midsummer Night's Dream, a film of that, uh, with James Cagney and Mickey Rooney. So that was my first film, and I played a deaf mute in it. And uh, as you know, in the films, we don't shoot in sequence. Mm -hmm. So the first scene that I was doing, my character... Alessandro, it's his name, wasn't he? he was a deaf mute. Mm -hmm. I decided, I mean, I really didn't know how to act or anything, but I'm doing it, I'm being drunk, and we were going to roust him, you know, and push him around. So I was hyperventilating, and a, an older man behind the camera said, cut, it wasn't Dietrich and he walked over and he pointed to me and he said, he's breathing too loud. That was my first shot. <laughs> yes. So I, 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 I have I, to breathe. I don't breathe right. Yeah. You know, how will I ever learn to act? Uh, so, on on a Richter scale, I was a zero in that picture. Yes. Not, not up, not down, just yes. right, like there. Because at the end, yes. I get shocked into. <laughs> yes. And I went to see Dieterle because I don't know how do I, what do I do? What do you have in mind? And this was around five forty in the late afternoon, and he'd already shot, and he had his pajama tops on, and his wife was there. She seemed to have some warm milk for him, and he said to me, "When I directed Lawton in Hunchback." <laughs> Of Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah. Lawton went, woo, <laughs> and then he went, <laughs> and, and she said, I think he's going to go to sleep now. <laughs> so got, that was, that got... was my direction. You know, <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, I just, I got through it. The second picture was the night they raided Minsky's. And then the third picture was Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. And I was really scared. I was afraid of the, the sexual implication of it. But then Paul Mazursky, uh, who was really talented, uh, he and Larry Tucker, his partner, they played me the improv that they did for the scene that Diane Cannon did with me in Bob Carroll, Ted and Alice, a bedroom scene. It was very, very, very funny. So they did the characters themselves so you could hear it. So, yeah, yeah. before yeah. they wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And I could hear that it was funny. That's great. And so there, then I found my relationship with the camera because each of the four characters, Bob, Carol, Ted, and Alice, had a fantasy. And the woman who was my wife, her fantasy was that every man in her mind would want to dance with her. So uh, uh, Mazursky staged a scene on a soundstage at Columbia mm -hmm. uh, with about, oh, hundreds of male extras, one woman, Mm -hmm. and and me mm -hmm. and and mm -hmm. so now we had to break for union regulations and so they turned the lights down everybody went out to get a smoke 
and and now I, I have where am I going? I'm very comfortable where I am. You know, I got a cup of coffee and something. And so th they left the camera standing. Uh, the sets were there, and and it's just and and me. I'm just there until everybody comes back and turns the lights back on. <laughs> and that's where I got it. I say, oh, the camera doesn't give me problems. I give me problems. The camera will never lie to me. It will never manipulate me. It, it will never promote me. It's just honest. It's my first objective relationship, and that really saved me. That that saved me. So you were looser in your inside yourself more accepting more accepting uh, so I came out and met Robert Altman and just the two of us and he gave me the script to mash and then <laughs> asked me to come back I, I didn't read for him but then there was word there was like a scuttlebutt about Bob Carrollton and Alice was, was going to work this oh. was before it came out oh he said would you consider Altman said to me would you consider playing the American Southerner and I said I never questioned an offer Mm -hmm. And because uh, uh, all I want to do is work, but I'll be so intense, I'll drive myself crazy validating me as an American Southerner. I could do it, mm -hmm. but it's you know. But if you haven't cast mm -hmm. uh, Trapper John yeah. McIntyre, I got the juice. I got yeah. with that guy, and and he just ga gave me the part. He oh, me, how like great! He let me cast myself. Tell me about the long goodbye. I, so I went to see David Picker, who was running an mm -hmm. artist. Now I'm looking for a job. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I've had a success. I've uh, been on the cover of Time magazine, worked mm -hmm. with and for Ian Warburton. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so he gave me the script, and we thought that uh, by Lee Brackett, who had collaborated on The Big Sleep with William Faulkner, and he gave me the script, and it was old-fashioned. It was like a pastiche it taking place in another time and place, but I'm looking, you know, it's an interesting job. And so then they gave it to Altman, and Altman called me. Again, I was still in the West Village. I was in my little kitchen, and he called me from Ireland where he was finishing images, and he said, what do you think? This is about the longer bar. And I said, I've always wanted to play this guy. And he said, you are this guy, and that was the beginning. Of the That's movie. so great. Yeah. Because it suited you so much, that character, just for some reason, when it's not you at all, but still. Well, it was like an American jazz piece. Yeah, He right. really let me. Yeah. Uh, so when we were doing Ocean's Eleven, it's about 120, we're in Jerry Weintraub's backyard, which in the script was Las Vegas, but it was really Palm Springs. We've got the whole gang out there. I have a scene coming up out there with the Matt Damon, and George Clooney is going to tell everybody what we're doing. And Steven Soderbergh, the director, walks up to me, and he says, the ink on the face, was that an improv? And I think... What? What ink? What face? What? What? what yeah, you know. And uh, I kind of saw you. So I got to wake up now. To, I'm just kidding. I, I have a mark to hit. I got lines to do with mm -hmm. Matt Damon, and and so I I get it. Oh, the long goodbye. So did I say the long goodbye? I said, oh, right, right, right. I said yes, yes. Uh, was that behavior? acceptable to you he said yeah but it was so unexpected i said but that exhibited the kind of confidence and trust that altman and i had in one another mm -hmm. because once the character had his fingerprints taken and now the a fascist cop is roughing me up mm -hmm. uh, you know and there's a two-way mirror so you can see what's going on and i put ink under my eyes mm -hmm. and the cop says what do you i said i got a big game and we, we went even further and i started to do you yes. know mammy yes. you know, i said <laughs> yeah. so if i had stopped Mm -hmm. If I wasn't sure, if I had stopped, would have cost us 
oh, 25 minutes of production time, and that's what movies are about. Yes. Tell me about our mutual friend, Anne Bitterman. Yes. And uh, Ray Donovan, which is your show as well. So tell me about that. She's putting together her show. Mm -hmm. Anne Bitterman Mm -hmm. created uh, Ray Donovan. And I went in for a meeting. And I was sitting there, and, and she went in, and I didn't know who she was, and she went out, and she came back. She felt to say, I know you. I know who you are, and I know your work. And well, I said, great, whatever. I came here. Maybe you'll hire me if there's something that we can do together. And, and so I was able to participate and play this very peculiar lawyer, very corrupt mm-hmm. uh, lawyer. Mm-hmm. You know, the li- I, mean, I use a little bit of David Beagleman, a yeah. little bit of him, but I mean, it was really good. And uh, that was, a, it was very helpful to me because it gave me a, some a confidence and some support that maybe I can continue to act. Yes, it's everything. And then, of course, but I actually want to talk about Groucho. Oh, please. Well, you introduced uh, me to Groucho and Groucho to me. Yes. I believe it was Sardi's. I think he he was there with some people. You introduced uh, us. Mm -hmm. But then Jenny and I, my wife, Mm -hmm. and uh, Jenny and I were sitting in Nate and Al's, and Groucho was dropped off and walked in alone. Mm-hmm. And we're at a booth, and Milton Berle, who was sitting at a booth with a bunch of other guys there, yeah. uh, he got up and said, Julius, come and join us. And Groucho didn't respond and didn't want to, and so I called the maitre d' over, and I said, would you ask uh, Mr. Morris if he would like to join me and, and my wife and sit with us, which he did. Mm-hmm. And he ordered a sandwich, uh, two halves on rye bread, locks and cream cheese and corned beef on the other hand <laughs> and that's we became we became yes friends. yeah i can tell you in the last the last moment i saw groucho in life which says it all because he had had his hip replacement and he was still and, and there was concern because i believe that harpo perished when he was under anesthesia and groucho was in his late 80s mm-hmm. and he got through it but then he was extremely weak, and the last time I went to see him, he had clear tubes. I remember the clear tubes going into his nose and whatever. And he, he didn't talk, but he put his fingers on the tubes and like played them like okay. they were a clarinet. Wow. <laughs> That's, what a great memory to take oh away from God. Groucho. Yeah. Oh my God. yeah. But that was that last image. And of course, he gave me the greatest review I'll ever get, which is when I changed a light bulb over his bed. Yes. And he said, that's the best acting I've ever seen you do. It's <laughs> my best review. That's great. It's so uh, touching, actually, for me to be with you because we're such old friends. Yeah. Elliot, thank you so much. It's always, I just love being with you. It's great. <laughs> <laughs>